but it's valuable and it's adding value to what we do and I think it should it should be leveraged across the industry as we get more and more capability from it. I think it's critical to have that unified view. Welcome to Managing Marketing, a podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. My name is David Angel and today I'm joined by Claire Fenner, um, the newly appointed, I think, CEO of Atomic 212, one of Australia's leading independent media agencies. Um, welcome, Claire, and it's thank you for being on the podcast. It's great to be talking with you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me, David. No worries. Now let's talk. I did just say congratulations, but I'll say it again because I, I mean I think um, we've worked together on and off in the past, and and I was really happy to see you um, elevated. Um, congratulations on your recently um, your recent appointment, CEO. It's a role that I'm interested in the CEO agency role. I've done a CCO role. I've done an MD role. I've never actually done a CEO role, and it's a role that I think has many um, preconceptions attached to it, particularly for media agencies. So. What is a media agency CEO in your view and how are you juggling the priorities of your role and how are those changing over time, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll firstly start by saying that I acknowledge that I'm going to come at this with my own preconceived ideas of what the CEO role is and I think those ideas I formed early in my career looking at the really big personalities across the advertising industry, not necessarily just media agency side, but across the full breadth of the industry, I had in my head that CEOs were always big personalities, had a massive presence in market. It was always, it felt very ego-driven. I'm not naming names. It just felt like that was the type of person that had to be, or that was the fit that needed to be in a CEO Mm -hmm. role. That's just what I had in the back of my head. It wasn't something I was even thinking about as I progressed through my career. Um, and I don't, like, I don't think about other people that often. Really, it was just a general con- um, conception in my head, um, and I never really aspired to actually become a CEO. Um, I talk about this a lot with people that I'm close to. That I've had a lot of success in my career. Um, I've worked very hard, and people respect the work that I do and um, the opinions I have and the experience. But I've never, ever been hungry for that next role. It's always come to me as a reward and recognition for what I've delivered. So I was never thinking about CEO. In fact, in the last three or four years, I've actually been actively thinking about not wanting to do a CEO role whenever it's come up. Um, but I started to rethink my preconceived ideas about it because I think the CEO role has changed quite a bit. I don't necessarily know what has influenced that. Uh, maybe the industry is getting a bit more sophisticated than the way it was when I was Um, first in the early days of my career maybe it's more prominent CEOs that are female that's changing the dynamic a bit Um, I don't know what it is but I certainly think that CEO roles becoming more meaningful broadly speaking across agencies and I think meaningful in terms of some of the amazing CEOs across the industry that are actually driving impact in their business and strategic impact for their clients not just that big presence in market um, that I perceived at the beginning of my career. So I started thinking about it differently in terms of what I could bring to the role and what value me as a leader in our business um, and with our client partners, what I could contribute if I was in this role Um, and to also elevate my team below me. The leadership team in our business is amazing. And so 
there's so many people within that um, cohort in our business that had the opportunity to step up as I stepped up as well. And so yeah. it was a relatively easy decision in the end. But as I said, I had to overcome my preconceived ideas and I'm just going to approach it. I'm a three months in. Yeah. I'm just going to approach it with where I think I can add value. I've never wanted to be inauthentic. I've always been myself in any role I've done. I don't, as I said, I didn't have, have, ever have aspirations um, to get to certain roles. I've just kept doing good work and um, built amazing relationships with clients. And so I'll just continue to do that and support the team. And, yeah, that's how I approach the role and that's how right. I think about it. But honestly, I think I think the fact that you haven't had aspirations probably is one of the biggest contributing factors because when people do have clear aspirations, that can come across not always in the best way, right? If you're gunning for the top role the whole time and you're not focused on what you're doing, um, I, I don't think that always works. But, you, I mean, you've unpacked a lot of stuff there. The, the sophistication of, of the leadership role required is definitely, I think that's definitely changed. And I think that's a lot to do with people's values. I think it's a lot to do with DE&I becoming much more to the forefront. Um, I think it's also to do with the profile of a media agency, right? That the, the trading behemoth media agency, that, that doesn't really, that doesn't play so much anymore. And it's not to say that trading's not important, but those... 20 years ago, that was a very different personality required to drive that kind of business. Yeah, absolutely. Rightly or wrongly, there's no disrespecting that versus this. It just, it is what it is. Absolutely. Um, So I think, and we'll come and maybe talk about a bit more about media agency development in in context of Atomic. Um, And I also, I I do think, I mean, you mentioned female leadership. I, I wanted you to mention that. I do think we have seen, I mean, there's been some trailblazers in, in Australia who, you know, I mean, Probably Katie Reese Smith springs to mind as one of them, but there are a number of them, right? Yeah. Um, and I think the leadership profile of media agencies specifically is far more female dominated than it was. And I think that has changed things. Yeah. I think that has changed the profile of, of leadership and the um, some different perspectives and different skills. Yeah. And I think it's so beneficial to the industry and the people in our industry to have that breadth and equality across the leadership. Look, divert, seriously, diversity. I mean, it can't be a bad thing, can it? And, yeah. I, and I think, I mean, gender diversity is is one um, one arm of that. Um, and I think, I, I do honestly think that no one would suggest that the, the battle is over in terms of making sure that industries really are diverse. But certainly, um, I think media the media agency industry has taken some great strides. Well, we're, get, we're going off topic slightly here, yeah. but do you, do you agree with that? I mean, I agree. There's stuff to do still, I think. Yeah, but, but do you I agree think there's that? absolutely still stuff to do and work to do. Um, and I often stop myself and think about if I was in someone else's shoes, how I would perceive this, because I've been very fortunate in my career um, and don't feel like I've ever been held back as a woman, but I do know that, um, and certainly some close friends, um, feel that at some times, that there's mm. still pressures or um, restraints in terms of how they can progress um, within the industry. So there's still work to be done, but I think I like to think that we've actually made some decent progress compared to some other industries and particularly as we've just talked about the number of female CEOs that we're seeing across the industry, which is a very positive movement. Look, it's, it's, it's action rather than just talk and, you know, and talking more broadly about diversity, clearly, I mean, the MFA have a number of initiatives, AANA have initiatives, um, and I think that combined with actual visibility of people in top jobs who do 
represent a degree of diversity. Um, yeah. That's going to lead to reputational, um, what's the word, reputational improvement. That's going to lead to more people coming in to yeah. the industry from, from the ground up who, yeah. who see that reputational improvement. And it's going to improve the reputation of agencies and you know, specific agencies in general. Yeah. And I wanted to Absolutely. talk. I wanted to talk about reputation. That's that's a segue. See, see great see segue. I, see why I've done that? this before. Um, it's like I've done this before, and, and but the fact that I highlighted this segue kind of took away the coolness <laughs> of the segue. But but never mind. Um, you are a leading agency with strong reputation in market today. You know that's for a number of reasons. But I think it's it's fair to say that you guys have you know Atomic Two and Two has had its tough times, and and you've had to go on a bit of a rebuilding journey over the past. Four years or so, and I think I mean agencies go on rebuilding journeys all the time, right? But I think you had a particularly pronounced rebuilding journey, and it's led to some real success. How have you found that? And what do you what do you think has contributed most to what? I mean, if you look at it on paper, you're you're not just surviving, but you're thriving. It's clearly been a really good turnaround. So, what, what yeah. do you attribute to that? Um, it's a, a really interesting question. I think uh, rep- reputation is interesting because I think people that have always been close to our business and that work with us, don't necessarily perceive the reputation that maybe we were dealing with over the last four or so years. And I'm honestly still taken aback and surprised when I occasionally, and it's very occasionally these days, get specific questions about our past. Um, We just don't think about it anymore. We're so far beyond it and we have thrived, as you said. But it's definitely been a journey. I'm not ignoring the impact of um, the past, but at the time we very much focused internally on our staff and on our clients. Our client partners were just focused on the work we do for them every day and the results we deliver for them and the people that work with them, and they never faltered. Mm -hmm. They stuck with us through that and we just kept delivering. We kept delivering the amazing product and kept developing our product and our amazing people evolved, grew, we've grown in terms of the number of people and developed our people internally. And I think that focus, um, we've very much been focused internally and our, on our client partners over the last four or so years, that has driven success. And that is what got us through that history, but it's also what is driving success today. And it's what allows us to compete against the major holding groups um, and very confidently compete against them. And it's our product and our people any day that will win a client for us. I think our product is unique in that it's future focused and it's what clients are increasingly looking for in terms of being able to quantify that what their media is driving for their business in terms of business outcomes. And I think as long as you've got a strong product and amazing people, you'll succeed. And I think reputation isn't hindering us. I think it's interesting, those comments indicate a consistency of approach, right? You held the line. Essentially, you held the line. It's people and products. You focused on what you know, um, and that has then delivered benefits. I mean, you've also had the C word being COVID. Yes. Happened right in the middle of it. And we're not going to talk about it. I mean, COVID's been done to death now, I think. We're not going to talk about it. I'm just acknowledging the fact that. You it's, also had COVID to deal with. It's been with. a hell of a four years. Um, whether personally, I don't know whether you personally have to deal with COVID, but certainly as a, as a business you've had yeah. to deal with COVID. There's an element of kissing what you say. There's an element of keep it simple. You know, yeah. there's an element of you've just you, you've held the line, like I say, through thick and thin, and um, I think that's been rewarded with some client tenure 
as well as some client um, uh, attribute, you know, some some new clients that have come along. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's something we've been very conscious to hold on to as we've grown because we've grown significantly. So any even growing pains would have been a challenge over this period. Yeah. Um, but we've always made sure we focus on establishing very um, strong partnerships with our clients and amazing relationships with them, but making sure that filters down into all levels of our business because if we continue to scale and it's reliant on two or three individuals that have those relationships, it's obviously not valuable. So it's yeah. really critical for us to make sure that our teams are immersing themselves in their clients and helping solve whatever those challenges are for them. Trinity P3. So you're growing. We certainly are. And yeah. agencies generally can't grow without pitching. Yeah. It's another segue. I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> it's a great segue. Um, pat myself on the back, why not? Um, I don't, look. Like, funny enough, I don't ask that many podcast guests about pitching. I mean, you'd think I would. Part of what Trinity P3 does is what we're best known for, but I don't often ask about pitching, but I'm, I can't resist. You're an NCC. Oh, I should probably, should probably ask you something about pitching. What do you think's changing? You know, what's staying the same? What's surprising, delighting, or dismaying you in, in the pitches that you're seeing, regardless of whether consultants are running or not? What are you, what are you seeing out there in the, in the market? I'd actually love to ask you this question too. <laughs> I think I can give you some thoughts. I, yeah, I, you first. I'll share my thoughts. Um, but I, I think we see such a broad range of um, styles of pitches. As you said, some have consultants involved, some don't. Some are procurement-led, some are the marketing team leading them. And I think that can often influence the types of challenges and the dynamics or the opportunities that we see within a pitch. I think as a general trend up, Unfortunately, we're still seeing so much focus on cost, price, and rather than the value that a media agency can drive for a business and drive the growth for a business, it often still is too much focus on price. That's pockets that we're seeing that are positive in terms of clients that actually recognise the value of what the service and product they're buying is and how much it will contribute and prices a secondary factor, but I think all too often we are still seeing price play too big a role in pitches. It's obviously critical. It's commercial engagement and both parties negotiate that and come to an agreement, but um, I think it can compromise the quality of service in some instances when clients and procurement drive down the um, service fee too much. Sometimes it can be pushed in the wrong direction. but I think more and more we're seeing clients that are actually have a real appetite to work with agencies that can be a game changer for their business. So recognising what the agency can deliver. As I said, price is often still a factor in the end decision, but that's not necessarily deciding which agency. It's more so we like you, but we need to get to this price is often what we hear and see. Um, but I think more and more a really positive thing is that clients are actually looking for the right partner um, and recognising the value that we can drive for them, whether they pay for that um, and recognise that. And the fee is the question. But, yeah, I think we're starting to see clients, um, as I talked to before, look for an agency that can help them justify their role of media marketing 
in their broader business and mm-hmm. um, the lever that it is to drive growth for their business. And that's where, as I said, our product is re- sorry, really, really starting to come into its own in terms of driving our ongoing success. Yeah, well, I can give you some opinion. I mean, I, I yeah. think um, I, I want to hold that thought on price because yeah. I want to come back to that. Um, I think in terms of what I see and what we see specifically, it is so, it is kind of biased because there are certain pitches we will not participate in because we have values that are kind of similar yeah. to what you've just said in terms of assessing based on the value output as opposed to the cost input yeah. always. Um and that has to be in balance, of course. You yeah. Know? Um, but we are seeing a greater number of clients who are more prepared to have that conversation, who aren't prepared to sacrifice and negate the entire process we've just gone through. Yes. To die on the beach of cost. Because yes. while we have gone through that, we should just ask for a spreadsheet and be done with it. Yes. Right? And agree. We make that point all the time. I lose. I mean, we. I, I don't. Like I say, I mean, we we some pitches that we don't get when we're pitching for the pitch business, yeah. right? Because because we have those conversations and some people just aren't interested. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting is the integration of media, um, which has been talked about for years and years, but I think with various elements of tech, with various elements of complexity in the, in the, in the market, um, Organisations are finally realising that media can't be a standalone and media does need to be integrated. And we're seeing that come through in hybridised models, composite pitching, in-housing, roster structure and design, that all of which feeds into an agency, a media agency that's more capable of operating in multiple different directions as opposed to just one direction. Yes. Um, which I think talks to some of the things you, you mentioned in your in your model there. So, yeah. and I think probably accounts for some of your success. Um, we're seeing that quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I think clients are finally gripping the fact that it isn't. It can't just be about placement. It can't just be about inventory. It can't just be about seven, nine, ten. It can't just be about it's taken years, right? Yeah. But. Totally, that's all become hygiene and it's the complexity of what we do beyond that that really adds value. Yeah, which is, of course, a massive, a massive, um, um, a massive opportunity for agencies and and a challenge, but a massive opportunity. But I I did want to touch on price. I mean, price is obviously, there's two components of price in a media agency pitch, right? There's the service fee, which you mentioned, and and, and or remuneration structure. Yeah. And, of course, there's inventory cost. are you seeing? Are you still seeing massive spreadsheets for for inventory costs? Um, and um, you know, you must reduce your CPM every year by five percent, all of that kind of stuff. More and more in that respect, the agency fee was what I was referring to yes. before. But yeah, more and more in terms of media rate pricing. See, that to me feels a step. I mean, again, we don't participate a lot. Mm-hmm. If we can avoid it, we always we recommend against that, and, yeah. and, and because there are other ways to look at it. Um, why is it happening more and more, do you think? Because that feels like a step back. That's counterintuitive, right? Yeah. If I, yeah, I, I mean, don't know what's driving the fact that it's, or at least we're certainly seeing it increase. Um, it could purely be a procurement thing. It could be nervousness from marketing teams that they need some sort of benchmark to be able to understand if they're going to be better off or worse off in a 
apples for apples comparison or they perceive it to be an apples for apples comparison rather than the um, layers that get added on top of that in terms of the service and product um, of the agency. I feel like it's almost creating a, in their minds, a benchmark, whether it's procurement or marketing driving it, a benchmark that they feel like they can compare and then make a decision based on what they see in the room on the day in the interaction with the team. But I feel like it's driven by um, nervousness a little bit, just wanting that security that they're not trading off significantly in terms of um, the cost of the media being such a significant cost to their business. Um, I think that's what must be driving it. There's also a dynamic for us um, which we've well and truly overcome over the years, but early on um, there was naturally a question from clients of whether or not we could compete against the holding groups in terms of our negotiation and buying power. We, it's not even a question anymore, but, again, maybe it was making sure that they had something to tick off to make sure that every agency in the mix and being able to invite an independent like us um, into the mix, being able to compare like for like and making sure they weren't missing out. Look, I understand that, uh, you know, I do understand, and I've worked on last agency role as Chief Commercial Officer of Avast, yeah. you know, I, across the group. I yeah. understand that. And in some parts of the world, it's still very, very heavily focused mm. on, on cheap, cheap media. Yeah. And I can understand, given that it's the largest line item of cost that runs through a budget, that, that they do, there needs to be some reassurance. Yeah. But one thing counteracts the other. If you if you want a value equation, don't look at cheap media because yeah. that's not a value equation. It's yeah. a cost input equation. Totally. It can and actually compromise. It compromises. Yeah. It compromises quality. So, and. You know, then all of the things that we both know about how many variables, just how many variables are involved in media trading at any given one time. Yeah. Um, how some some channels, anything RTB, anything programmatic, anything that's, it, it, it's just next to impossible to really truly get an apples for apples picture, in my yeah. opinion. Right? I'm yeah. sure lots of people more clever than me will, will have products that try and do that, but I've never seen a convincing one. No. You can do a sort of apples for apples in terms of yeah, get every agency to submit their CPMs against certain but how meaningful is that yeah given that even just despite any strategic changes the market changes everything else it's yeah. just kind of so all of that stuff um i think really is counterintuitive um i do think that clients are sort of starting to realize that more um it's a shame that you say there's more that you're seeing a rise in it because and again, but this is where our bias comes in because we, I, we, we, I mean, we, I'll, we'll do rate spreadsheets if we have to, but yeah. we're not a media auditor, and, yeah. and we don't, we don't profess to be. Um, we know how to do them, but we don't, we don't advocate them. Yeah. Um, and um, so, so a lot of our pitches are run without them, um, and, and it is very focused on what kind of business outcomes do you think, and commercial outcomes are your, yeah. are your, you know, your strategies going to achieve and, and you know are you prepared to be KPI'd on that as opposed to KPI'd on yeah. making a making a a reduction in nine hundred CPM and we all know how that can be done. Yeah absolutely if an agency has to hit a financial incentive on low cost CPM then certain inventory will be will be prioritized and, and that's just the way the, the way it is. So yeah it's, I, I think you know that everything we just said said there suggests two things are sort of pointing in the right direction in some ways but still being dragged back a bit 
uh, yeah, than others. I guess the only thing I'd say about the media pricing with our clients, um, and there's a broad range of whether they're um, audited against the pricing or if it's just a benchmarking exercise in a pitch, um, there's varying degrees of that. But I would say 90% of the time those pricing commitments don't compromise the quality of media we're delivering for them. There's a, in the day-to-day, there's a conversation around what we're actually doing, why we're doing it, and then if it doesn't fit within the constraints of the pricing template, pricing benchmarks, that will become an exception to the, if it is audited. And so I don't feel like it compromises our delivery but it does play a, play a role in how we operate and how we work for our clients naturally. No, and it's only going to impact the end, the media owner. Like yes. it's just gradually beating down that price further and further. Yeah, agreed. Trinity P3. Now, of course, every good agency doesn't want to compromise, yeah. compromise quality. No, no good agency is going to just yeah. continuously buying crap all yeah. the time. Of course you wouldn't, but... Um, that those exceptions get harder and harder. The more and more and more exceptions. Yeah. Okay, what when at what point does it become meaningless yeah. to talk about CPM and yeah. and more meaningful just to talk about what's the best use of dollar for dollar return on a sales basis rather than the dollar for dollar cost input um, on on a year year on year basis. Yeah. Um, and I think, but frankly, I th- I think once once I mean once a client is within your walls, it's easier to have those conversations. Yeah. And it, that it's it makes the, the setup of your contract or KPI structure all the more important. Even if you have to do this stuff in pitches, if you can set something up like you say that has exception clauses or yeah. uh, however um, you, you want to put it, yeah. then that gives you leverage to then start evolving over time. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me if you disagree, but no, that's, that's how I see it. Yeah, it's very very true. Yeah, okay. and as you said, ultimately driving the result for the client is what matters. It does. Um, and measurement is what matters, isn't it? Measurement is <laughs> measurement is what matters. We've been talking about measurement from uh, the perspective of the client and measuring outcomes, but um, there has been some recent debate. If we sort of narrow in a bit on the media, the media industry, yeah, um, around the modernisation and overhaul of, of TV measurement. You know, nothing we've said today about CPMs and cost inputs and and everything else makes measurement not important. Obviously, yeah. we still have to have how, how we're measuring success is one thing, but how we're understanding what we're trading as a media agency is is quite another. Yeah, um, and, and we of course need uh, that to be to be um, accurate and modernised. So yeah, um, the modernisation and overall of TV measurement to replace the current Oztan, and lots of opinions regarding the feasibility of it, the willingness for some to use a, a consolidated linear and digital volatile, the Vols platform has been mooted. What's your as CEO of Atomic? What's your position? I think um, progress is good, and I think we need progress. I think, in some respects, it's been slower than we'd ideally like. But with the shift in viewing behaviour, obviously, we're talking specific to screens or TV yeah. and BVOD um, in this conversation. That shift in viewing behaviour mandates that we need to progress beyond the traditional measurement um so boz is a great step towards that um it's still got kinks it's still being worked out it's not been rolled out in its fullest capacity 
um, but it's valuable and it's adding value to what we do and I think it should um, it should be leveraged across the industry as we get more and more capability from it. I think it's critical to have that unified view of TV and VBOD. I think we can't we cannot operate and do a good job of buying screens video on our clients' behalf without that unified view of the audience. I think we're only looking at one small piece of the pie if we stick with the traditional metrics, but I've shared my views um, recently in terms of I think the industry, so that we're not lagging constantly, we need to look way beyond Boz, leverage it for what it is and the value it's going to give us the insight across the two platforms, um, but we need to be looking further than that. As it, the viewing continues to shift more and more into streaming um, streaming and BVOD, we need to start to think about how we can better measure the impact of that activity on business outcomes beyond audience. I think there's going to be so much capability that could be unlocked um, if we actually start to, and the, I don't, I'm not in the rooms that might be planning the end state, um, but I would hope that there's a lot more thought way beyond where we are with Boz in terms of where we can get to with measurement. Um, the BBOD marketplace um, will be something, if it eventuates in terms of all TV networks coming together with a joint BBOD marketplace, again, helps with that measurement equation because we're actually able to look at unified inventory across a single platform rather than disparate um, buying solutions and therefore the measurement can give us a unified view of audience as well yeah I, I mean there's there's an analytical component and there's a human component there, yeah i think i mean it, consolidated measurement across multiple media channels not just oh. not just screens right has been yeah. rooted for, for for years and years and years yes never really quite i mean there's been various currencies put forward by various yeah. agencies or various groups yeah but of course without consolidation that, that that's really hard and and yeah. you know from, from an analytics point of view you have to be much cleverer than I am to, to work out how that's actually done. I'm not yeah. suggesting it's easy. It's really yeah. hard. But, of course, the human component, you just mentioned TV networks come together. There's a human component there, right? Yeah. It's competing. Competition, it's totally. yeah. competition into media channel competition. Yeah. Um, I think there have been some quite encouraging voices. I think, was it Michael Stevenson or, or Natalie Hart? I can't remember. One of the two of them, possibly both, saying that, look, disparate measurement current, I mean, it's going to lead to, in quotes, chaos. Yeah. It's just chaos. Yeah. And I agree. I agree with that. I mean, uh, there, at some point, something has to give, and, yeah. and the networks have to accept that they're going to win some, lose some off the back of a consolidated measurement platform. Yeah. Um, that is that is more um, uh, future facing, shall we say, than what we currently have. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And when I talk about the end state measurement that I envisage, envisage for TV VOD, I think having it closer and closer to um, the impact for the client beyond just audience is valuable for the media owners in terms of valuing the inventory they're selling and preserving their yield, et cetera. I think as agencies, we're responsible for looking at the holistic measurement of our campaigns. And yes, there's no system that does that in terms of a single measurement platform that can evaluate the impact of all um, campaigns in terms of a media tool, but modelling has always been there, will always be there, and it's the most robust way to measure the holistic impact of a campaign. And that's where the end source of truth should be, in my opinion, but there are the day-to-day -day 
um, processes that the teams need to go That's through right. in terms of what you said. We still need basic metrics that we buy towards it's, that it's, we trade against. Yeah. So it's, there's it's two dynamics. It's trans- yeah. yeah, correct. Absolutely yeah. right. It's, 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 it's translating analytics currency into trading currency. Yeah. I mean, modelling, I think, is becoming more and more sophisticated over time. Yeah. It is becoming more and more important over time. I think it's becoming more holistic over time. It's not yeah. just media modeling anymore, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you, from the data, from the buyer's perspective, and yeah. there's still, you know, media buyers are still important, right? Yeah. Um, and media salespeople are still important, and there yeah. has to be a, 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 an equitable currency yeah. that translates one from the other. But okay, we're not going to solve that in this room. <laughs> we I certainly are. I don't but think. We can dream. We can, we can dream. Trinity P3. I want to pick up on a, on another sort of really challenging issue, a germane issue for the for the whole industry. I think agencies and advertisers alike um, is, is is privacy. The, the government's plans to limit segmentation and targeting of advertising audiences for privacy reasons via an updated privacy act. Um, and, and I think, in fact, the, there's an argument between industry bodies, the government, the Consumer Rights Alliance is really kind of heating up. Um, how 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 big do you think the fallout could be? It seems like this is becoming really quite ch- tricky and challenging. Yeah, I think it is, and I don't profess to be an expert on this. I think there's a lot of people that um, have analysed this in much more detail, but I'm um, obviously across um, the major issues in terms of our industry, and I think it has the potential to be quite severe. And I think it's largely driven by the, um, I guess the constraints and allowances that are within it that are aiming to regulate it and control it but even just the I forget the wording but the right to sue the, the yes. end consumer has the right to sue about misuse of their data that's great for the end consumer in terms of the intentions around it that it puts the power in their hands but to me that feels like it's driving a lot of fear in terms of trying to find the middle ground between protecting the end consumer and how businesses then need to operate. Like, if this if this becomes legislation, the constraints around how they need to operate and the restrictions on businesses that are leveraging data in our industry in particular, um, I think there's a safe way to do that, to leverage data without compromising privacy. Um, but I think right now, if I was sitting on the other side of the fence in terms of, say, a media owner or a loyalty business, if I was looking at this legislation and thinking about the impact of my business, but also the need to make sure that everything is buttoned down and adhering to the potential legislation, I think that fear of the right to sue would naturally be playing into it. And so if that means that everything gets pared back completely, businesses will be compromised by that because it is something that is becoming a very commercial um, driver for major businesses a lot of them would be compromised significantly, as I said, loyalty businesses, but even media owners, I think, would be compromised in terms of the content they can deliver for the end audience, the end consumer. And yes. so I think it needs to find a balance. Um, it's not as simple as tightening it up so much that the end consumer is protected. I think it needs to be somewhere in between so that where data is being used in a way that doesn't actually compromise their privacy, it's not identifiable data um, and not tracking them in a way that is um, compromising their privacy, then I think 
that's the ideal middle ground that we need to land on. Um, but I'm certainly not, um, not, as I said, I don't profess oh, to be well, an you're, expert. You're but more of an expert than I am. I mean, I'm, I'm following as a, as a media practitioner, yeah. so to speak, as, as, as are you. I'm certainly not working for the government and, yeah. I, and I, don't, I don't have a, uh, an expertise in legislation. But um, it does seem, like you say, I mean, it's knock-on effect is what you're mm. describing. And that would extend to service providers yeah. and various businesses who are set up to provide data that can maybe no longer be used. Yeah. The right to sue, I mean, that's it's not just about buttoning down, but I think it opens the door to spurious misuse of, of litigation by yeah. consumers who just are trying their own chance in their arm. Yeah. What, what, what's that? How's that going to play? Yeah, and you can imagine that the, and I'm, like, I'm not a lawyer, but yeah, you can no, imagine we, we're, not, the, we're not innocent in this, are we? We're not a lawyer, we're not government. You can imagine that the onus would then fall on business to defend the claim against them rather than the onus on the consumer to prove it because yes of course where is that proof going to come from and so that's scary in itself it's hugely potentially hugely damaging so yeah look again we're not going to solve it in this room but it's it's certainly interesting to have your um your perspective on it and there i mean the iob is quite strongly involved in this and yeah um i'm not sure how their intervention is going to play out either if i'm perfectly honest because it how defensive it becomes, I, I, I don't know, but yeah. um, but it's one to watch. Yeah, and it's an interesting one if we take off our um, industry hats. Like if I think about my friends that don't understand the depths of their data that's being used, I think there is a bit of a fear around it. Like sometimes I'll get into lengthy discussions where people will raise it with me knowing that I've got a bit of um, understanding from my job of how data is used. I think a lot of people... Um, would probably have visibility of how it's used across broader industries. But I think, yeah, certainly the average consumer either wouldn't be conscious of it and therefore it could be being abused beyond their knowledge and they just don't have that control. But the average consumer, I'd say, has concerns around it. So I think it's a necessary step for us to take to make sure that the privacy legislation is up to scratch and making sure businesses aren't misusing data, but, yeah, finding that balance is critical. Trinity P3. There are other big plays, I think. I mean, there are always other big plays happening, right? And this this industry never stops. We haven't even mentioned AI once or chat GPT, which has got to be a first in any conversation <laughs> I've had in the past. To, in fact, I've, well, I've, ruined, I've just ruined it because I've mentioned it. I, I've mentioned it now. So that's, God, that's I, I hoped we'd get through half an hour without talking about it. But um, you don't have to answer with, with chat GPT or AI, but, but thinking about the, the short to medium term future and marketing, not just media necessarily, but marketing. What do you see out there? What are you hearing from your clients? What's coming down the pipe that, excites you or maybe scares you a bit like 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 privacy legislation that that, um, that, that, that could have a profound impact I'm going to think I'm going to talk about this more broadly because I think trends come and go and I'm not saying that AI chat GPT will come and go I think they have a role in our future absolutely but I think there's a broader theme that I think is really really positive in our industry and I've talked to this a bit already so Um, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think more and more media marketing advertising is looking more at the impact it's driving in terms of business growth. As I said earlier, like I think we've lost that over the more recent decades in terms of the value of marketing within organisations. And I think, as I said at the beginning, 
marketing often has become a cost centre rather than a growth centre. And I think that's the biggest opportunity for all of us is to shift that tide and continue to shift that tide so that the value of what we deliver is truly recognised within businesses and it's an opportunity for a business to invest and drive growth for their business because they can quantify the impact and the outcomes that are coming from their media investment and continuing that journey. I think that's a long-term trend that I think is really, really positive in our industry. It's not a trend that's going to come and go. I think it's something that we're going to see as something really sustainable and that we'll see our industry flourish into the future. I hope so. We, I can tell you, we, we certainly see it really has ranked up. I mean, I think I think there's been, we went through a whole era of personalisation being being the thing that yeah. would deliver that would deliver return. Yeah. Um, we've gone through a whole um, period of uh, enterprise tech being the thing. Yeah. From a C-suite perspective, that we just magically kind of create this. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's all. Those kind of promises have always been, or even often been, realised, and I think that has put marketers then under increase, ever increased pressure to say, well, look, we've now got all this stuff. What's, where's the bridge between the cost of marketing and the, and the impact of marketing? Yeah. Um, so that I don't view it as a sunk cost and I don't view the marketing department as, as the colouring yeah. department. And I, yeah. you know, and I can trust you as, uh, as drivers of, of, um, of growth as, as much as anything else. We get asked this stuff all the time. In all the work that we do, it's not pitches. Yeah. Um, we do assessment work, uh, work uh, internal work of various kinds with different marketers, um, and we run a lot of stakeholder interviews that go in and around not just the marketing team but internal stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So typically when you talk to a CFO, for yeah. example, it's just the question, it's always the first question. How do, how do we do it? Yeah. Um, and the role of agencies within that is obviously critical because so much money flows through them and so much expertise is, is derived from them. Yeah. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. It, it's it's uh, a bit like with diversity and, and, and inclusion, there's it's still a long way to go. But I think those questions are becoming more and more prevalent. I think they are contributing to stress and and, and uh, shorter and shorter tenures of CMOs in, on the one hand, but on the other hand, they are a massive opportunity yeah. to... Um, for, for, for marketing to sort of come out from under that pile of rocks and, and, and be a real influencer. Yeah. And I think the reason we're in this position, in my opinion, and this with this opportunity ahead is that we as an industry for so long became obsessed with digital metrics because it was the first time it was readily available that we had real-time data linked directly to spend. And so marketers relied on that, agencies and marketers relied on that to provide an update on what their investment was delivering. But it was only a small piece of the pie, especially when it first started. Digital investment was such a small piece of the pie, but even at its peak, it is only a portion of the pie. And so it's doing a disservice to marketing to say that these are the results we've delivered because you're missing so much of that impact. And I think that's been a big part of where we're why we're here yeah I, you've, you've expanded on the personalization i mean yeah. when i was that was i was yeah. alluding to that in part is that the the, yeah. the the um the, the magic of the internet fixing everything now we can run dynamically you know dynamic yeah. content that, that, that targets 
individuals and you know, it's linked to the privacy thing as yeah. well of course it's, there's been a backlash against yeah. it it's become too but um yeah um people kept, became excited with those metrics and all too often and this links to something else we were talking about around value out rather than cost in all too often the metrics became too too myopic too inwardly focused mm. we, we were looking at cost per clicks and yeah. cost per engagements and, and often false metrics like last click Last, I mean, last click attribution yeah. is still here. Yeah. Visibility standards and, and all of those kind of yeah. things, which, which, which you know, half of the frame being seen for one second or whatever, whatever yeah. the, I can't remember the exact detail, but those kind of things, yeah. are, are, along with all the challenges around botnet fraud and everything else, that you're at, have created this kind of real challenge around, I think some see uh, there's, a, there's an inherent sense of kind of promise not delivered about it all. Yeah. That, that, that does need to be to be rectified. Um, and we can't expect CEOs to be marketing experts and um, no. that they're still catching up with all this stuff, you know, because it's just we're in our little bubble talking about it and, and uh, the rest of these organisations yeah. is catching up with this. Some marketing teams are still catching up with it. So. I, I think, do you know what, Claire? We're all catching up yeah. with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can bring Absolutely. me one person in here who who knows yeah. everything about this, and uh, yeah. you know, I'll, 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 you know, the pigs will fly, so to yeah. speak. Um, I think uh, it's inc- it's all part of the challenge, right? Yeah. Um, and our whole industry has grown up and flourished around it, and the complexity of that, just of that industry, yeah. Um, as a subset, as you say, it's only one part of the pie, but oh yeah. my god, it's a complicated part of the pie. Yeah. Um, Look, again, it's both challenge and opportunity, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see where we'll, we'll see where things go. Yeah. Um, well, I should ask one final question. It is a bit of a tradition. I get told off sometimes by Darren. Darren, Darren likes me to ask a, a random final question. So I've been thinking about what that question might be, and I have to. We were talking about your beautiful daughter, your fourteen-month-old beautiful daughter. Yes. So my final question is: scale of one to ten, if your beautiful daughter became an agency CEO in in her future, how happy would you be about that? Knowing what you know three months in. Very happy, and I'll caveat this, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it would be a positive indication that our industry is still thriving and it's still a critical industry because I also have concerns that maybe it's not going to head in that direction. She'll be, let's say, 30 minimum, maybe 40. That's in a long time. Yeah. It's a few decades from now. I have questions of whether the media agency industry will exist in its that's, current form and so that's that really actually good makes answer. me very happy to think that yeah, yeah. 30 40 years old that 30 40 years time she will be it will, be, it will be fenna media by then yeah it will be fenna media and you'll be sitting in a <laughs> castle somewhere in london controlling <laughs> with, with nine phones in front of you yeah i also hope she'll do something really fun and creative with her life so we'll see that's what we hope for all our children. That's yeah. a good way to end. Hope yeah. for the children. It's all about the children. Hope for the children. Hey, it's been um, lovely talking to you, Claire. Thank you so much for your insight. And it's, I think that's been a really fascinating conversation. And uh, all the best with your still new role. Thank you very much. Lovely chatting to you.